Welcome to the third episode of this podcast series, Wisdom for Meditation Teachers. And this week I got to speak to Susan Spinks. Susan is a meditation teacher from Sydney and she started her own regular meditation practice back in 2011. Witnessing a transformation in herself, she became very interested in finding out how mindfulness and meditation work to bring about change. She is particularly interested in the science of what is happening in the brain. Susan was originally an engineer and taught maths in high school, so she is very logical and can explain concepts clearly. Susan is an accredited meditation teacher with the Meditation Association of Australia. And it was so interesting to speak to Susan. She had so much knowledge about the science behind mindfulness. We spoke about neuroplasticity and different research that's out there, proving the benefits of a regular mindfulness and meditation practice. I really hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. Welcome, Susan, and thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Gabby. It's lovely to be here. Oh, good. I just want to start with how long you've been practicing meditation for. I've been doing meditation myself for about eight years now. Is there any time in your practice that you felt the benefits from meditation and realised the value people learn from the practice? Can you just sort of, is that a definitive moment? There is. There's one episode there's a, or an incident that happened to me and it made me realise that, wow, meditation has really substantially changed me. And, um, and what happened was uh, I had a telephone call and it was very unpleasant and it made me very angry. It was probably the most angry I had ever been in my life. Um, and normally I would have been upset about it for days, weeks. I'd have laid awake at night thinking about it. But what happened was half an hour later I was talking to somebody and I started telling them about this phone call and realised I was laughing about it and I actually didn't care anymore about the whole incident and I realized that that is the benefit of the meditation it's that practice of accepting things and letting go that really had rewired my brain and I was able to do that and I've been very conscious of that so that was my defining moment when I really realized it's had meditation has had this powerful effect on me and changed me Mm. and um, I'm conscious of that ever since then Oh, that's, that's amazing. And how long have you been, were you practicing when that happened? How long did you, had a, did you have a regular practice or you just started out? Or no, I had, been, was that? I had been practicing for about three or four years. Um, so although I felt um, more relaxed from doing my regular practice, I hadn't realized the benefits were quite that intense yeah. and substantial. That's great. That's a great story and such a reflection on how it can kind of just not creep up on you but not be so obvious and then something like that can happen and really change the way you look at it. Was it your personal experience of meditation that led you to wanting to teach? Like what was, you had that defining moment and then what was that a moment when you wanted to teach or was there something else? Um, Not quite then. So what happened after that incident, when I realised how powerful meditation really is, is I started to wonder why, what's actually going on in your brain, in your body, that's making it this effective. Um, So I started to do a lot of research, a lot of reading, 
um, and uh, I, I'm very much into science, so I was very interested in, in what's actually happening uh, in the brain. Um, and from my understanding, um, I then just wanted to share it. So that's when I decided to start teaching. What was it you wanted to share, just that gift of what, you can, what meditation can bring? Well, I, I just realised that so many people could benefit in the way yeah. that I had. Yeah. And it's such a, a lovely thing uh, to share. So. It's, that's so true. And in your practice, do you follow any tradition or do you have different approaches? Well, I have a number of different approaches that I personally use. Um, and that came about because I, I learned with one group called Sahaj Mark, and they tend to um, use a mantra for the meditation um, and I was with that group for 12 to 18 months um, then they relocated and I didn't like the new venue um, it wasn't there was nowhere to park so I thought well, I'm going to look around for another group and that's when I started to, to discover that actually there's a huge variation in meditation techniques that um, various groups use um, so I would try anything. I've always been going for a new experience. So I decided to just explore all these different meditation groups, go along to as many that I could. And what has resulted is I've just picked my favourite parts from all of these different practices. So I actually use a combination. Um, but. I often fall back to the mantra that I originally learned with. There are many apps and different traditions of practice that we've just discussed and obviously what you told me, you do an amalgamation of practices in your classes. Do you believe that all the traditions um, and apps that you can use have value or do you only advocate certain practices? What I've realised is that different things work for different people mm. um, because everybody's brain is slightly different um, and it's just a case of, I think, people trying all the different um, techniques and just finding out which are the most effective for them. So, for instance, one type is creating an image in your mind and that that's becomes your focus for the meditation. It's one that I've never ever been able to do. For some reason, my brain will not create an image for me. <laughs> so uh, that's one that I don't tend to personally practice, but other people tend to love it. So it's just whatever works for the individual. Um, that's what I advocate. Mm, okay. And what have you learned from teaching? What wisdoms or insights can you share from the um, people that you've taught, students that you've had. Is there any, any stories you'd like to share? Um, well, I've had a lot of feedback and a lot of people have um, told me that there's all sorts of fantastic benefits that they receive from the practice. But what I've also discovered is that it's not actually suitable for everybody. Um, just occasionally a student um, does not respond well to meditation. They're not comfortable with closing their eyes um, and looking inward. And it's actually caused them to feel distressed. Um, I think it's also um, happens with people who have suffered a trauma, that looking inward can bring that trauma back to the surface. So a lot of caution has to be taken there. 
Um, with, the pers with most people who are not comfortable with closing their eyes, then there is a technique where you don't have to when you meditate. You just have an, an open eye meditation with a very soft, unfocused gaze. And that can be just as effective. So again, it's just finding what works for the individual. Yeah, and that's so true about mindfulness, that it can be all with your eyes open, and because it is just a practice of observation, so there's really no reason to close your eyes. And like you said, um, that absolutely you know happens to can happen to people feeling um, distressed by because they haven't faced that trauma or healed it, and and it's something really to be aware of as a teacher that that kind of thing can happen. That's right, because mind, mindfulness, being mindful in our life is, um, is our aim and meditation is just the tool that we're using. So whichever um, technique of meditation doesn't really matter. Mm. We'll still get the same result, become more mindful. Yeah, that's right. Um, and even if that practice just becomes something that you're just appreciating, whether that's appreciating something in nature or just being present, washing up, whatever that is, you can find those things without actually having to yeah, sit and meditate as such. Whatever works. <laughs> Do you have any stories to share about students you've had and how their practices evolved? Oh, it's always interesting to see a student's journey um, from the, the struggles of the first session or two where um, very often it's very difficult to stay awake, um, uh, to sit still. Um, and uh, the time just seems to go so slowly for them, you can tell, um, to seeing after a few weeks of practice how instead of falling asleep they start to attain that lovely deep blissful state um, where you're in a deep meditation but totally conscious of everything around you um, and just enjoying it. Uh, I think to start with it's very hard to enjoy but as time goes on and it's easier to get into that lovely state uh, of deep meditation then the enjoyment factor goes right up. And there's lots of feedback that I receive about um, health benefits such as people telling me that uh, they've always struggled with high blood pressure um, and after a few months of meditation their blood pressure is right down, the doctor can't believe it because the only difference they've made to their lifestyle is starting a meditation practice. Isn't that great? That's so that's so rewarding to to you know have people like that have such great experiences and um, and yeah and then getting to see that the benefits that they they have experienced and then they share with you. Yes, it is. Yeah. So just going back to what you mentioned earlier, Susan, just about what is happening in the in the brain and what you. Um, found from the research you used to do. Because I think people really love to know that science side. You know, everyone likes, you can get the sensation from meditation, but what, what's actually happening in the brain and body? Yes, I find a lot of people, if they actually understand what's going on, then um, it, it's, uh, it means more to them. Um, so the brain has what's called plasticity, which is a term that you're probably familiar with now. It means that we can actually change the wiring of our brain, the way it's structured. Now, I tend to, I'm going to compare it to if you are learning to play a musical instrument or learning to drive. When you first pick up that instrument or you first get into the car, it's not easy. It takes a lot of concentration and it's something that your brain is not familiar with and it's very difficult to do. But after weeks of practicing, 
and months of practicing, that skill of either playing the instrument or driving starts to become very natural and very easy. And it's because every single time we practice, we are slowly rewiring our brain so that that skill, that particular skill, is becoming stronger and stronger within our brain. It's easier for us to do it. It becomes more natural and second nature and almost um, part of our subconscious. Uh, so I like to view meditation as very similar to this. When we practice meditation, well, let me explain what is meditation first of all. It's simply focusing your attention on something. Now mindfulness meditation tends to focus on the body, so a body scan, the breath. Uh, more traditional types of meditation focus on something exterior, so it could be a candle, a mantra, an image. Um, it doesn't really matter what type of meditation you're doing, you are focusing your mind on that particular thing. And it's very hard because most of us, when we try and focus on one thing, we're finding that after just a few seconds we've got thoughts coming into our mind to distract us. So the technique with meditation is that as soon as you become aware of those thoughts, you then accept them and acknowledge them. You don't get emotionally involved in them, you don't judge them. You simply accept them and consciously let them go and then bring your attention back to your focus, whatever your current meditation focus is. And just like going to a gym where you have to do an exercise over and over again to make a muscle stronger, this is like your mental exercise that you have to do over and over again, this practice of acknowledging that you're thinking of something else, accepting those thoughts, and very calmly and gently letting those thoughts go and coming back to your focus. So that's your mental exercise, and as you practice it over and over and over again, it's rewiring your brain to do that. And what happens then is that because your brain is programmed to accept and let things go, is that this extends outside of the meditation practice. And this is why in the incident that I was talking about earlier with myself and the phone call, within 30 minutes my brain had accepted what had happened and let it go. So that's what's actually happening in the brain when you practice meditation. You're simply rewiring it. Mm. to accept and let go. Isn't that interesting and you know I think neuroplasticity is quite a new um, field of science and we're only just becoming more aware of that like all the science behind meditation and um, all the research studies that I think they're doing now and proving what you know neuroplasticity is and how it is affected by thought and feeling and that we have happen in, in the body and the brain. So, Susan, is there any research that you particularly have, have come across that's really inspired you or found you know, interesting, just the evidence that proves the effects of meditation? Absolutely. There's lots of studies out there now. Um, one that I particularly remember was um, conducted in the UK. This is a number of years ago. And this was with a group of teenagers who were self-harming. Um, seriously self-harming. Now they took this group and they sent them on a three-month camp, three months camp, where they were not allowed any of their technical devices, so no computers, no phones, um, 
and they had to every day practice yoga and meditation. Now they actually did brain scans on their brains before they went on this camp and again when they finished. And from those scans you could see that in that three months their brains had substantially altered. Now not every student actually managed to last the three months but of those that did, um, most of them, the majority of the group, ended up not self-harming again after that. Isn't that incredible? That's great. What a, what a great study and um, I did read a study about kids being, instead of detention, they go to meditation class. The effects of, of that on the kids and not then re-offending and ending up in detention, um, although they probably would want to do that if they enjoy meditation, so they go to meditation class more. But when I hear things like that, it just really inspires me of what's possible, especially for kids and how great it would be to see meditation in classrooms just as part of part of the day, whether that's studying in primary school or in high schools. Yes, absolutely. And they're actually in the US, they're starting to introduce meditation in quite a few of the schools. Um, and the teachers are noticing a huge difference and apparently the parents are when the kids go home. Yeah, and then I guess even the kids can then teach the parents, hopefully, if they've ever missed out on learning meditation in their life. Uh, I think it just could have a real knock-on effect. And so, Susan, just to finish up, what would be the one thing you'd like everyone to know about meditation? I think the important thing is to understand that it's not easy when you're first starting out. I think a lot of people go to one or two sessions and just think, oh, this is just too hard and give up. Uh, they don't particularly enjoy it. Um, I'm going to use the analogy that it's a bit like taking up jogging or running. Um, and the first time out, you might just jog around the block and you don't particularly enjoy it. It's hard work. Um, you don't really like it and uh, you don't particularly feel that good afterwards <laughs> but as the weeks go by and you keep going out there and pacing the pavement um, slowly it starts to get easier and after a certain period of time when people who go running they start to get uh, they experience the runners high now I think meditation is a little bit like that when you first start out you don't really enjoy it it's hard um, but as you go on, it gets easier and it becomes more pleasurable. And as I also mentioned earlier, you do, when you've been doing it for a certain period of time, start to experience this absolutely blissful, deep state where your meditation session has finished, but you're in such a nice place, you really don't want to move. That, yeah, that is so true. And just and I think um, just discussing what we said about the kids and that perception change that comes with it. You feel those feelings and you see things differently as well and it's such a, it's just a gradual process and not to give up and think that you're the one person that can't do this because you absolutely can. Yes, a lot of people um, will sit there trying to meditate um, and think my head's so full of thoughts I must be the only one who's experiencing this but actually though that's not true. Everybody is experiencing yeah. that um, and it's, it's realising that even if you think it's not working, it is actually beneficial. It is slowly working, even yeah. though you don't realise it at the time. Even if, yeah, you don't go through those leaps and bounds. Yeah, it can be even just more of a gradual thing that happens over time. And so gradual that yeah. you don't even realise it yourself. Yeah. Susan, thanks so much. It's been lovely talking, Gabby. Thank uh, you. Thank you.